from Exodus 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. Then the layer of dew, when the, la the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And I'll just make a note that the instruction of the Lord for which they're being tested is an instruction that includes things like letting the poor have part of your harvest, welcoming the stranger, Letting the land rest. You've heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. Our text forces me to start with a disclaimer that I am at risk of being a hypocrite this morning. Any sermon preached should convict the preacher, but today I sort of feel like I've been caught red-handed. Our text asks the question, is there enough? In the world I live in, and the culture that I've grown up in, and the posture of my own heart usually has me answer that question with, well, not quite yet. <laughs> I wonder if any of you ask the questions that I do, different iterations of that larger question, is there enough? Do I have adequate insurance coverage? Are my finances as secure as they need to be? Will I have enough time to fulfill my commitments? Will I have enough time to just enjoy life? There are other ways of asking that same question. Is there enough? Am I able to do a good job with this situation? Am I as talented as I need to be? Is there anyone I can actually rely on when I really need them? Is there enough love in my heart to help this person? Am I loved? The good news of Jesus Christ is that abundance is woven into the universe. Abundance is an outpouring of the heart of God. There is enough food today for the entire world to be fed. There is enough land for everyone to be provided for. There's enough goodwill for all of us to have happy, 
healthy communities and neighborhoods and families. There's enough time for all of us to live, to work to live and not live to work. In the wilderness in Exodus 16, 17, the people would all gather different amounts of manna, but miraculously, those who gathered much didn't have too much, and those who gathered little didn't have too little. The good news of abundance is not easy to remember because we've conflated need and desire to the point that they're indistinguishable. This is where the myth of scarcity and the very real consequences of that myth come to our attention. We think we need an extravagant amount of money so the rich get richer and the number of impoverished people increases. We think we need food systems to get us any kind of food, any time we want it, and a billion people end up with too much while one and a half have too little. And 300 million of those one and a half billion with too little are marching towards starvation. And all the while, souls degraded and farming communities struggle. We think we need to be with the right kind of people or have an idealistic, Instagram-filtered community so we miss the people who are right in front of us. We're afraid things won't add up, so we chase the next promotion or want another title and work ends up being our life instead of a means to a good life. The myth of scarcity ends up having very real consequences. The myth of scarcity fuels empire. The myth of scarcity erodes faith. What if God really has given us all that we need and we choose simply to hoard it or to share it? The thing about gifts is you lose them when you hold them tightly. Latching onto something crushes the very thing that we would otherwise protect. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, a place that seemed to be of scarcity, they would try to control, they would try to hoard manna, and it would rot. I want to try something new. I want to have some audience participation, so bear with me. This won't last long, and you'll get through it, and it's going to be great. You're going to have a lot of fun. I want you to do this and cross your arms over your body. And I want you to hug yourself as tight as you can. I want your eyes to pop out of your head. I want you to hug as tight as you can. Clench down, hold that, hold it a little longer, and release that. Good job. Well done. That is what scarcity feels like. It's tense. It's tiring. It'll raise your blood pressure and keep you from feeling the wind or noticing the person beside you. Now, maybe make a little space and be mindful of yourself within your pew. Now, open up your arms. Stretch them out. Stretch them to embrace, to share, to offer thanks. You're free. You're light. You're not needing to control. So you're at peace. Good. That 
is what abundance feels like. Abundance is vulnerable. When I open myself up, I can be hurt. Does this posture remind you of anyone? That's the very heart of God expressed in Jesus. The abundant life of God is one which makes itself vulnerable, gives itself away. It's a vulnerability that in losing its life finds life. And that is only possible with trust. We're called to be people of trust who believe that God really has given enough to live a full life and create a better world. Thanks be to God, we have this community to help us trust even as we doubt, even as we fear, even as we have real needs. When you have trouble being open, the sharing of this community makes up the difference. And tomorrow, you'll make up for someone else. We have enough. We have enough time. We have enough love. I don't. You don't. We do. And it's possible because that's the very posture of God. This is the way of God revealed in Jesus, that we together are enough. The way of God to cross into time and space to be with us so there is enough love, enough value in the world. You and I are enough because we together are enough. For our gifts to remain, for them to multiply and replicate in our lives each and every day, we have to trust. We have to give it away. Pay it forward. Practice gratitude and generosity. So let me pause here, as has become my custom. Don't confuse abundance for extravagance. That's another way of mixing up need and desire. Abundance rarely ever starts with if only. If only I could move to that neighborhood. If only so-and-so would be my friend. If only my family were more of this and less of that. If only my spouse would. If only I had the money to. If only the world were not as it is. Abundance starts with thank you for this. For this food for this shelter, this community, this person, this life. The abundance of God doesn't mean that we have everything we could possibly want. It does mean we have enough. And holding on to that requires that we release it. God's economy is not like ours. Good things are not a product we can consume Good things are purely gifted, and we simply choose whether to hoard them and lose them or give them away and gain all the more, somehow, mystically, abundantly. If you hold the gifts of money and shelter and knowledge and community and love all to yourself, they'll rot. 
and you'll have nothing to satisfy you. And the world will be impacted yet again by the very real consequences of the myth of scarcity. There's enough wealth and time and land and community and love for the whole world to be well, for the church to be itself, for you and me to have a purposeful, simple, empire-fighting, abundant life. The God of our day is the God who created an abundant love, the God who demonstrated this very way of life. We are beloved children. We have abundant life available to us at Park Road. Give it away so you can keep it. Open your arms and you'll receive it again and again and again. Thanks be to God. For those of you that are with us for the first time in a few weeks or first time ever, uh, we are in a sermon series where we're um, considering what Jesus learned from the scriptures that he read. So he would have known the story of manna when he told this story that Matthew's gospel records. It's a little bit longer than I could fit printing the whole thing in your uh, bulletin. And so I would hate for you to miss some of the parts that make us so mad. So I'm going to read the whole thing. So don't think I've left something that um, some parts are missing. So just listen uh, and I will catch back up to where you are there. But this parable, we really, really, really don't like it. And so I don't want to miss any of it because I really want you to be as frustrated as I am by the time I finish reading it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and at about three o'clock, he did the same thing. And about five o'clock, he went out and he found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. Can you see where this is headed? When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first one came, they thought, oh, goody, goody, we're going to get more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? 
Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Are you envious because I'm generous? You've heard the ancient story. We don't like to read this parable, parable because if we like anything, we like fairness. And this ain't fair. As a matter of fact, it's the perfect example of not fair. It's an extra gut punch in that it's not fair about something that we want the most fairness about, work and money. It just really gets under our skin that everyone got paid the same thing no matter how long they worked. All day long or just an hour, they all got the same wage, which worked out great for the one-hour worker. Not so great for the all-day laborer. What was Jesus thinking making this so hard? We can't appreciate the generosity of the boss because we're so busy being perturbed by how unfair it is. We are so indoctrinated in a system of fairness. But if we're honest, this story is played out a thousand times over each and every day. People working long hours in grueling conditions and being paid the wage they were promised, knowing all the while that money will not be enough to feed their family and keep a decent roof over their heads. While many play games while getting paid more than they could ever possibly spend in 10 lifetimes. Talk about not fair. And each day, today, the laborer gets back in line hoping to be offered work, any work, while the games will go on and the money will flow freely. It's not fair. As long as we're on the winning side of the equation, the, to the, par the parable is tolerable. But let someone suggest increasing the minimum wage or try and come up with creative ideas to more generously compensate the more menial jobs and some folks will look at you like you have lost your ever-loving mind. Matthew is writing primarily to the Jews, the religious insiders, the in crowd, Likely, the story is not meant for us to interpret as a guide for some economic sense system. Likely, the story is told because the Jews needed to hear a message about the abundance of God's love for everyone, even, hold on to your seats, the Gentiles. This was unfathomable for the Jews to understand. No matter how long you had been part of the faithful, what you're telling me 
is if I've been faithful my whole life long or if I'm a newcomer to the faith, God's love and acceptance is abundant, more than enough even for everyone. Everyone receives the exact same amount of love. Everyone receives the exact same amount of forgiveness. Everyone receives the exact same amount of acceptance and inclusion and welcome, the long-timers in faith and the newbies. I think if we're honest, this sits about as well as the, with us as the whole labor and money conundrum. Some people are just easier to love. Love the difficult ones anyway. Some infractions are just easier to forgive. Forgive anyway. 490 times, if necessary, we learned last week. Some people exclude themselves, making it hard to get to know them. Include them anyway. There's enough love and enough forgiveness and enough welcome for everyone. Actually, in God's economy, there is more than enough. Abundant is what it is. So love, welcome, and forgive with wild abandon, even while you enjoy the generosity of God yourself, for you are constantly and always being loved and forgiven and welcomed with wild abandon. Now, I want to risk taking a slight turn or a detour here. You don't have to do anything with your arms. That part is over, okay? <laughs> but I am going to make a pretty sharp turn here. And I'm going to take the risk because it's been rumbling around in my brain and I don't know what to do with it except put it out there for you all. You know that the day laborers still stand around waiting to be picked up for whatever wage they can possibly make today. This story is real. It is literal. Today, it is true. And I think it's very easy to sanitize the story in order to praise the landowner for his generosity. And that is a perfectly legitimate take on the story. I just made that very point beautifully, I think. But the Bible offers us so much more than one story within every story. You don't have to diminish the generosity piece of the story simply because you point out the injustice of people that work so very hard and still do not make enough money. It's immoral to work so hard and not be able to take care of your family adequately. Two weeks ago, I was at the university planning retreat where I went as chief chef and cook and bottle washer as my gift to all the youth ministers who work so hard to put this camp together every year. I shopped, I cooked, I chopped, I stirred, I cleaned for three meals a day for three days for 15 people with lots of different food allergies. And I tried to accommodate every one of them. 
I spent three solid days standing up. And at one point toward the end, I sat down and I realized that my legs were hurting and my back was killing me because I'm not used to standing up all day long. And as I caught myself complaining about my body hurting from standing up, as ridiculous as that sounds, it is true, I heard myself and I thought about how many people stand up all day long in their work, not giving what they are doing as a gift, but they're just trying to put food on their table. And I think about how often I compare what jobs make more than mine. When in my mind, my experience, my education, my work ethic surpasses theirs. Please tell me I'm not the only person that does this. When we read this parable, we must stop and take into account our privilege. You may have worked hard for what you have, Good for you. There are a lot of people working hard and not making a living wage for their family. There are a lot of people working way harder than I work, leaving me with plenty of time to justify my own privilege. Explaining to myself why it's okay that after a college and grad school education and long and crazy hours and sacrifices made that I make so much more than so many people with standing up jobs. What if we just read this parable with an eye for the day laborer and let it soak in that this parable is still happening because of inequities set in motion by systems out of our control and yet that we contribute to. It sounded better the other way, didn't it? The other interpretation's much more palatable. But I said you could read the stories from lots of perspectives what if we took just a moment to replace the topic of money and labor with the topic of the last two Sundays from Matthew's writings, forgiveness? Some people seem to work harder at it than others, and some people don't ask for it until the very end. Some people seem to have more than their share of mercy and grace and offer it without even being asked while others hoard it and only dole it out to the deserving ones. Is there enough forgiveness? A magic number of times? What if we replace the labor and wage conundrum with compassion? Is there enough? Do you have enough? Have you received enough compassion? Have you worked hard for it your whole life long, or have you just now arrived at needing it? Now, I've thrown a lot of different takes on this story at you today. Perhaps one of them will stick and land and be just what you needed for today. Maybe you need to be more generous with love and welcome and inclusion, especially to the difficult ones. 
Perhaps you need to be more generous to the poor, the down and out, the displaced, the oppressed, recognizing your place of privilege. Even if you worked hard for what you have, perhaps a sense of justice might rise up in you and you may become an advocate for those who do not have enough. It could be that you decide to be lavish with forgiveness even for those who don't seem deserving. In the end, Whichever path we take with this parable, it seems to me that this parable points to a God that is bent on more than enough, which may not always seem fair to us. If you have been the recipient of more than enough, if you have been the recipient of more than enough love and inclusion, if you have been the recipient of more than enough money, if you've been the recipient of more than enough forgiveness, if you have been the recipient of more than enough compassion, then live your life making everyone else envious of your generosity with it. Wouldn't it be great if everyone wanted to be like you because you were so generous with whatever abundance you have? That would be a game changer. And a game changer would be more than enough. May it be so. Amen.